Hello there and welcome to another episode of the Partial Historians and yet something totally new. I am Dr. Radness. That is not new. (laughs) Uh, I'm Dr. Greenfield. Welcome. Welcome. (laughs) We're starting a new venture today, which is why we're Slightly new. <laughs> stepping stepping into the past. We're partially new. We're partially new. Pa- well, it's a partially new topic, I yeah. suppose you could say. Um, we're venturing back into the mists of the beginnings of Roman history. Indeed. This, this could take us a long time. Yes, we're, we're <laughs> going to take a bit of a chronological survey, we've decided. We, we will stop off every now and then to explore things as they interest us. But essentially we're going from the beginnings of Rome... Until the end, uh, I until, guess. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> right, right until the end. Uh, <laughs> It'll take us a while. <laughs> and so, as you may perhaps be expecting, that means that this week, our exciting topic is the founding of Rome itself. <laughs> <laughs> Where better to start? Um, yeah, so, I mean, Rome, it's a place... Uh, presumably <laughs> it exists geographically in the midst of time. Yes. Um, there are a controversial uh, few stories about how Rome comes into existence. Indeed. Um, but by far the most popular, yes. I think, is the story of the twins. Indeed. And their story stretches far, far back, Dr. G. I think you know where I'm going with this. <laughs> oh, yes. <clears throat> Be prepared for a quote. Ooh. I sing about arms and a man who is exiled by fate. And first came to Italy from the coast of Troy and to the shores of Lavinia. He was thrown about on the land and the sea endlessly by the will of the gods, by the ruthless fury of cruel Juno. He suffered in war for too long a time. In the end, he founded a city and carried his gods to Latium. The Latin people came from this, the rulers of Alba Longa and the walls of majestic Rome. Sounds a little bit like the opening of the Aeneid by Virgil. Oh, you are 100% correct. <laughs> Give that woman a doctorate. Wait, she's already got one. Hello. Hello. <laughs> yes. So, Rome founded by Aeneas? Well, not exactly. Damn yes. it. <laughs> what a build you the up. Answer that one. You were just trying to make me sound intelligent for once. <laughs> yes. I do what I can. Yeah, well, basically, you were, we are on the mark. We have to go back to Troy for the popular sort of imagining of yeah there are there are two re well two conceptualizations of the beginning of rome Mm. one of them arguably is the greek version of the story sure and that would be aeneas yes hello yes and aeneas basically the idea is that he escapes from (laughs) the destruction that happens at the end of the trojan war (laughs) yes and after one of the survivors yeah (laughs) and after Bouncing about a bit, trying to spending a long time at sea. Yeah, and, and yeah, the idea that he breaking sort of, some hearts. He was sort of fated to survive because he's going to, you know, found a new Troy, that sort of thing. Um, he, has the, he has some of the gods on his side. Yeah, not all though. <laughs> mm. Cruel Juno, hello. Mm. Yeah, um, but eventually he gives up on his, you know, casual love affair with <gasps> Dido. <laughs> Wound to the heart. Exactly. Yeah, and too much more. Taking <laughs> that she dies. <laughs> <laughs> he eventually founds this new land. Yeah, so we have this settlement, Alba Longa, and you think to yourself, okay, Aeneas has founded Alba Longa, which is in Italy, it's in Latium. We're getting um, close, yeah. That ain't no Rome. No. I, I hear you. Um, <laughs> that is distinctly not Rome. No. Um, there is a competing foundation story mm. for the city of Rome itself, and this is where the Romulus and Remus legend comes into play. Now, there is some controversy about how these two stories 
intermesh overlay each other um if the Aeneas version of events is the Greek sort of take on things Mm. then the Romulus and Remus story seems to more conventionally be the sort of indigenous uh native story of what is going on in Italy that somehow got worked into the (laughs) yeah and there's and there's various ways that they navigate around this yeah um one of them is to suggest that there's about 15 generations between Aeneas and Romulus and Remus yeah to sort of account for the time difference between the end of the Trojan War he basically he basically finds Italy (laughs) finds Italy yeah Yeah. (laughs) it's very exciting the Greeks have discovered a new land and eventually descendants (laughs) will some of those descendants (laughs) eventually found Rome yeah so yeah arguably the Greeks can be like well you know Rome is really a Greek city yeah uh, no 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 <laughs> forget that forget that and there's that connection to our mythical Troy uh, <laughs> yeah well it's always good to have gods involved in the founding of your city I don't, that seems to be a good uh, yeah sort and of we are in such a, we are in such a hazy area right now because it's so tied up in you know the myths of time it's not, yes, it's very yeah. hard to unpack, you know, what actually happened because it's so... Well, yeah. I'm going to venture to say that we can't actually no, unpack no, what happened. Yeah, yeah. And I'm down with that. Yeah. Uh, as a so if we were hoping we were actually going to give you a historical account of how Rome came to be, be prepared for disappointment. <laughs> Sorry in advance. Yeah. Our source material doesn't lend itself to that sort of reading. No. Um, but what it does lend itself to really nicely is how Rome... Uh, or how Romans in later generations conceptualise their own history. Yes. And the descendants of Aeneas that supposedly have this connection to Romulus and Remus eventually Mm. are Numitor and Amulius. Indeed, yes. Um, In that these people eventually come about in Alba Longa. Yeah, so, yeah, so Numitor is... These brothers, yes. Yeah, yeah, Amulius and Numitor, the brothers that rule... Abelonga, but um, controversially for brothers, or perhaps not controversially for brothers, <laughs> they disagree about who should be in charge. Big surprise. Yeah. yeah. Brothers. <laughs> Nothing like power to split up a family. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Numitor sort of gets thrown out a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> Just a tad. Mulius yeah. <laughs> takes over. Yeah. Um, but of course, there always has to be that fear of what might happen if there's vengeance in the Yeah, world. well, you know, once you've decided to break with family and blood being thicker than water, you need to eliminate all of the other blood. <laughs> it yeah. becomes quite important. And this is where I know you're going to get excited. Ooh, <laughs> yes. Because I believe Numitor has a daughter. He does, he does. And what's a good way of making sure that a daughter of your, I suppose, enemy now has no children? Oh, you know, it's it's really good if you stick her into a cult for virgins. Yeah. <laughs> That really and that helps. Cult would be the Vestal Virgins yeah. of Alba Longa, not to be confused with the Vestal Virgins of Rome. Yes, um, because Rome doesn't exist yet. No, exactly. Um, and so that's exactly what he does. He takes yeah. the wise path of deciding that he'll just stop that line of descent by making her be a virgin forever. Yeah, which you know would work really well if the gods weren't already involved. Sneaky. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, yeah. So I, I mean, according to um, Livy's account, which um, and and Livy prefaces all of this account of early Rome uh, mm. by suggesting that is not entirely true. Well, <laughs> that it is the privilege of antiquity to mingle divine things with human yes. and so add dignity to the beginnings of cities. Um, <laughs> so consider consider the entry of Mars into this story, mm. the addition of dignity. Yeah. <laughs> um, and the rape. 
are the yep, rape. Because <laughs> there's nothing quite as dignified as raping a woman sleeping by the bank of a river. <laughs> Who also And happens... doing it so thoroughly that she falls pregnant. Yeah, <laughs> not just with one child, but with twins. Oh dear. Mm. <laughs> uh, and so you would imagine that eventually people notice that this virgin is pregnant. Would you not? Um, yeah, some yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, she tried to. She tried to keep that secret. Yeah. Um, leaks out. You know, she had the good women folk in her life hide her, mm. um, so her physical condition would remain unknown. Yes. But people got rather suspicious of her absence <laughs> <laughs> from public, um, and it became imperative from Amulius's perspective yes. that these, this child, this pregnancy, um, whatever issue came from that would be destroyed yes, so you're taken care of yes yeah <laughs> so he sent orders if, if you're feeling sort of parallels to the moses story i think you really should just go with that feeling yeah um <laughs> these, these children uh, or the, these babies mm. uh once removed from the womb um are ordered to be destroyed they are i might add apparently rather impressive physical specimens as you would expect from, <laughs> from uh, descendants of a god. <laughs> really? Yeah. Indeed, they are apparently impressive physical specimens. <laughs> They're babies. Nonetheless, they can be impressive. <laughs> I don't know what would be impressive about a baby. Well, you know what? Having had a little bit of exposure to real life twins, maybe it's the fact that twins tend to come early and therefore be a bit scrawny. Mm. Maybe they just weren't. Maybe, maybe they, they weren't. were like, yeah. like to- two totally individually born <laughs> wow <laughs> who knows impressive yeah <laughs> either way yes anyway. in any case yeah. uh, some odd things happen to these to these babies um the order is given out the servants of Amulius rock up to take the children away you know yeah. there's obviously the distressing sort of separation from the mother yeah um there's also some flooding that's taking place um Handy. In and, around, <laughs> in and around Avalonga um and so there's like high water levels and so they sort of toss the children um, into the water of but the river. But they kind of are at the edge, aren't they? And they're kind they of at the edge. They don't go far enough. Yeah, and they sort of think to... The servants apparently think to themselves that, you know, oh, look, nature will take its course and these children won't survive. Yeah. How wrong they were. They thought, <laughs> job done. Yeah, the morally culpable action of actually murdering these babies is not something that these servants end up being able to do. Yeah. Um, so they think to themselves, look, it's a, it's a raging river, you know, what are the chances? You know, like, life will take care of itself from here. Um, and indeed life does. And it does. Intervention. It does. It does. <laughs> the babies are luckily discovered (laughs) they are now this is where the story gets relatively interesting and I know it was interesting up until now Um, they are found by a a shepherd indeed Faustulus is it not Faustulus Faustulus I'm going with Faustulus okay I like that too but uh, (laughs) Faustulus has a much more sort of Germanic (laughs) sound to it I suppose you could run with that too yes Yes, so he discovers them. And they had been kind of um, uh, being looked after by a she-wolf, had they not? Yes. In the interim? Yes. <laughs> being suckled by a she-wolf. And this is where that you know, legendary image of the twins being, you know, sitting underneath the she-wolf and suckling at her teeth. Yeah. Yeah. Now, yeah, this is where the story gets really weird. Yeah. Um, and where myth 
Probably <laughs> playing a part. <laughs> Maybe. I mean, in some cases, um, the she-wolf is just sort of licking the children. Mm. Um, the children are like, wow. Um, <laughs> awesome. <laughs> being licked by Selfie a wolf. opportunity. Yeah. <laughs> um, in any case, Forceless is a bit worried about this and suspects that maybe something has like gone wrong with the destruction <laughs> of the twins of Albalonga, which... <laughs> Which was obviously doing the traps around the neighborhood. Yeah. Um, so he sort of rushes off and finds his wife, brings her and some other people back. Mm. So there's a gang of men folk now. Yeah. Um, and the wolf sort of runs off, mm. as you do. Job done. Yeah. <laughs> Save the babies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And goes and hides in some sort of cave, which becomes the Lupercal. Hello. Yeah. Um, and and anyway, so they they sort of they found, and it's sort of it's partially on the on the Palatine or what will become the Palatine. That they discovered, and and then Forceless's wife becomes involved, yes. Laurentia. Yes. And the trouble with her mm. is that she's a woman of not great reputation. <laughs> yeah. Well, she also has a connection to the idea of the wolf. It's like the the Latin lupa. Yes. Um, and this is where scholars aren't sure if maybe maybe the she wolf is the Laurentia. Exactly. Yeah. Mm. Because. Uh, Slang for, you know, a prostitute is like a, a she-wolf, basically, in Latin. It's like, yes. yeah, lupus, lupe, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so, so they're not sure if maybe at one point it was meant to be that the wife of the shepherd was suckling or looking after hmm. the twins. And maybe there was no wolf at all. Yes. <laughs> maybe. Uh, <laughs> but then again, the wolf is, you know, also sort of a, it could be a symbol of like the wilderness, you know, and... and Perhaps associated with Mars, and therefore perhaps there was actually a wolf there. And it's, it's a bit of a double-edged symbol. This yeah, one, this exactly. Is, this is one that comes to bite the Romans later on. Yeah, ha! <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. Nice one. <laughs> I just realised as I said it. Yeah, <laughs> um, but it does mean that the Romans get maligned at certain points. Yeah, because you know. Having a prostitute. The idea, a, yeah. That, that, as a heroine, I suppose. Well, like, yeah, that, heroine, that yeah. the functional mother of these children is yeah. is possibly a prostitute. Yeah. Mm, dubious. Even she's not a prostitute and she's just a good time gal. <laughs> not a good one. Yeah. yeah. Well, this plays into expectations about gender in the ancient Roman <laughs> Indeed, world yes. quite strongly. Yes. But either way, I think. Well, importantly, the children live. Yes, exactly. And they continue to distinguish themselves with their physical appearance and feats. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, they grow up, they become hunters, yeah. um, they accrue their own gangs, as it were, um, to go roving through the forests of the local area. Yeah. Um, they learn the... Taking the tra- care of business. Yeah, well, they, <laughs> they learn the trade of the shepherd, um, but they also end up um, engaging in a whole bunch of sort of like daylight robberies. Yeah, pretty strange. <laughs> they do a bit of the Robin Hood thing where they steal from the rich to give to the poor. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, but this this like teenage ganghoodness that they get involved in yes. does become a point of conflict for them as well because this is how they be- they get drawn back into the attention of people like Amulius. <gasps> Don't tell me. One of them does something bad and they get arrested. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. <laughs> we'll take it into custody, I should perhaps say. Yeah, so Remus gets captured uh, and is. Doing one of these hijinks. Yeah, one of these <laughs> gangster bro in the forest things. Yeah. Um, gets captured and is taken to Amulius and 
And then eventually transferred into the care of Numitor, because even though Numitor, mm. Melissa's brother, has been chucked out of power, he still has his own land holdings. And yes. apparently the crime for which Remus has been captured for has, has happened on Numitor's property. Exactly, yeah. And it's kind of his responsibility yeah, to take Yeah, so he needs to deal with that. Yeah, exactly. So, and so he sees his grandchild yeah. for the first time. Yeah. Not realising, <laughs> not realising. Ooh, dramatic yeah. irony. Exactly. But the pieces of the puzzle begin to fall into place when Romulus <laughs> also gets involved. Uh, yeah, yeah. So uh, we get this um, sense in which uh, Romulus is not very happy about the situation with Remus. Fair enough. And decides to stage a rescue. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta break my bro out. Yeah. Um, and, and this leads to a set of conversations between Numitor and Remus. Yes. Where... They both kind of reach an understanding that perhaps Remus is his grandchild. Yes, exactly. Um, the bits of the puzzle are falling into place. Yeah, like he's the right age, and Numitor's, twin. Numitor's inclined to believe it, <laughs> yeah. and and Romulus turns up, and they all sort of band together, and Numitor, Remus, and Romulus are like, all right, let's take down Amulius. Yeah. Let's do this let's thing for it, real. Let's claim it back. Yeah, yeah. What is our right? Yeah, like, yeah. I don't know what Numitor was thinking, but now he's got this like these young like grandsons. He's like, yeah, I acknowledge you, are you guys. Apparently, the sons of God. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> let let us do this thing. Yes. I want the power now. Um, how about that? And they go and they and they slay Amulius. Yeah, with their with their band of success, yeah. success. And they, none of this is getting us closer to the founding of the city. No, because wait the for it. Wait they, for the twins it. don't say, "Well, I guess we'll take over now because we're young and virile and whatnot." They just restore their grandfather to his to birthright. his yes to his position of power as the ruler of Avalona. Yeah, and they basically then say, "And by the by, we might just go and found ourselves a city. That's okay by you." Well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, Numitor gets up in front of everybody after yeah. all of this incident because obviously it's like shaking up the power structure of Avalona. You would imagine. Um, <laughs> it's a little bit chaotic. Everyone's like, uh, "What is going Wait on a minute, here?" You're not our king. Yeah, <laughs> we know you, yeah. but you look familiar. Yeah. You have not been here for a while. No. And Numitor's like, "Look, what you need to understand is that these are my grandsons." Yeah. And so he openly acknowledges them, and everyone's like, "Oh, that's cool. All right, sweet, um, awesome story, guys." Yeah, yeah. This could be like a story that lives through the ages. Yeah. <laughs> There's, <laughs> those twins are impressive yeah. aren't they yeah and, and so everybody in Avalonga seems to get on board with this idea of Numitor being restored yeah um, Romulus and Remus being legitimate yes. relations yep. and Romulus and Remus are then like well we've done this gangster thing for a while yeah. and this has been really fun and all but maybe it's time to be mature about yeah, it yeah maybe what maybe what we should do is like get our own city yeah like that's and settle down you know yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, you know that that's probably the thing so they, they wander off and found what will be the site. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because there's a, this passage in Livy where, yeah. where we get this transition really quickly from like Romulus and Remus are, are both um, seized by a desire to, to sort of found a city um, for themselves in the region where they were brought up. Yeah. Um, which is obviously just on the outskirts of the Albalonga region. Yes. And, and then they're in it together at that point. And then yes, very, rapidly. very quickly, <laughs> yes. not a lot of explanation for what goes wrong. Um, One of them ends up dead. <laughs> <laughs> they, they decide that, like, even though they've been seized by the same desire to found a place together. Yeah. It's not going to be the same place, necessarily. Well, I mean, it is, but they yeah. decide that, like... But not the same 
they're not going to go about it the same way. They don't get along as they found it. Well, they <laughs> they be, they both want to found a place where they were found. Yeah. Um, by the shepherd. Yes. And and then, but they don't want to share power. Um, Brothers. So, <laughs> I don't know. I I don't know why co rulership would be so anathema to them. Um, but especially since they're twins. They're twins. Yeah. Um, yeah. But there's this weird transition from like they both want to found a city and mm. they they seem to be in it together and then they get and to they the, agree on the location, location, location. Yeah, location yeah. is the thing. <laughs> and they get there and they get to the spot and they're like, I reckon I should found this city. Yeah. There becomes this distinction. So rather than being a shared subject, they they enter into this. Sort of, I'm an individual, and you're an. Maybe, yeah. Maybe we can't do this together. And there are also stories of them, like Romulus starting to, you know, build the city walls. What will be like the sacred mm. boundary of the city, and Remus going, "You call that a wall? <laughs> Suck on this! I'm going to leap over your yeah. stupid, stupid wall." Maybe and that being the reason that Romulus. Yeah, very yeah. suddenly, I would think <laughs> it's unfortunate. So th- I mean, things take a dark turn. Yeah. Um, once they decide to get competitive with each other, it's yeah. all about like competing auguries. Yeah. And so yeah, exactly. When they don't they go off and like sit down, and one of them sees what six? Is it six or is it twelve? Yeah, yeah. So like Remus sees six vultures. Yeah. According to Livy. Yeah. And he's like, I've I've had my augury. Yeah. Um, and he relays that information quite quickly to everybody who needs to know. Yeah. At which point Romulus is like, "Well, I've seen twelve. I've seen, <laughs> I've seen twelve. Yeah. Um, how about that for Augury? Yeah. Exactly. Um, and yeah, it's like everything that bound these two together, all of their shared suffering as children, and yeah, just unravels amazingly quickly. <laughs> yes, and perhaps you know was foreshadowed by you know their grandfather's falling out as well. Maybe. Um, yeah. Maybe you just can't have two men share power. Um, but things get out of hand, and you know. Regardless of the reason for their dispute, they definitely have a dispute. It, it escalates to, yeah. a, to a physical thing. Yeah. <laughs> Remus comes off second best. Yeah. <laughs> um, and Romulus gets to be the founder, the founder of Rome. <laughs> a city founded on the story of rape, pillage. Yes. Because Romulus doesn't stop there. After he's set things up, and in order to attract people to his city, he apparently says, you know, that most people, regardless of your previous reputation, um, can come and live in his new city. Yeah, like, so he sets up a century for men, essentially. Yeah. Where he says, come, I've got a space, all your past will be forgiven. Exactly. Um, come, no judgment. Yeah, <laughs> come, come to Rome. Yeah. Um, they get a goodly number of people rock up. <laughs> but the problem is, too many of them are of the masculine gender. Well, apparently. it is a century for men. Yes. So and this is an issue eventually. Well, yeah, yeah. So they organize a structure from within the people who have rocked up to this century, and they decide like who is the most respectful mm. out of all of these, and designate <laughs> about a hundred of them to be the fathers, if you like this, nice. uh, and they become essentially the the patrician class. Yeah, and. And Romulus does a whole bunch of things to sort of augment his own power mm. visually. Um, this idea of having lictors, these people in front of you who carry yeah. uh, the fasces. Signal who you are. Yeah. And he adopts the trappings of power that come from the Etruscans, according to Livy. Um, things like fancy chairs, curile chair. <laughs> fancy chair. Fancy, <laughs> gotta have a fancy chair. <laughs> and, and the purple bordered toga. And he does all of these things. And... 
So he's got the visual aspect going on. Yep. He's got some men in place. Yep. He's got a, a, a sort of nascent patrician class. Order is coming about. Yeah, yeah. He's, yeah created some order. Um, and they're like, okay, so we've got like, you know, a location. We've got some power. We've got some people involved. Like this thing is really, it's going viral. In yeah. <laughs> this, is, this is what we want. It's a trend and it's taking Yeah, off. yeah. <laughs> and then they're like, you know what we need? Women, women, yeah, and yeah. they do some really interesting things. Like they send out a whole bunch of emissaries to all of the local surrounding communities. They're like, you would, "Would you yeah. like to, <laughs> ladies? We've got a proposition for you." A bachelor number one. <laughs> He's got a purple border toga and a fancy chair. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Would you like to join us? Um, um, most people in the local area seem to be offended yes. by this approach. And they're Perhaps like, because of the background of people involved. Well, <laughs> and like, the new city and whatnot. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. obviously these people are all sort of like notorious characters from the local region already. Exactly. So yeah. the idea that they're now rocking up and being like, so we actually have this legitimate thing now where like, yeah. we've decided that we're... Cool. Totally reformed. Yeah. I swear to God. Yeah. So, ladies, Not just any God. <laughs> yeah. So like, so it'd be all right if you joined us, right? Yeah. And a lot of the envoys are sort of criticized. And the, the thing that gets thrown back at them is like, well, why didn't you set up a sanctuary for women as well? Yeah. Like, why, why wasn't there one for the ladies? And they're like, ah, too late. <laughs> like, women, yeah. There's probably some women who would have rocked up, guys. Um, and, and so they're like, oh, so, so you're saying no essentially to like joining us well that's offensive to us yeah <laughs> Romulus is like look I've got a solution for things like that don't you worry mm. um I've got I'm gonna set up some games yes um and so invite people yeah too. everyone should come to the games yeah fun time yeah. fun time had by all yeah yeah it's the consularia <laughs> you know it's gonna be nice it's gonna be to Neptune you know you should join us and everyone's like oh sweet you know we love games, games. <laughs> um we're on board 100% <laughs> So this, this is like the Roman Trojan horse yeah. um, moment where it's like, oh, well, I'm not going to send anybody to you because frankly, you guys are offensive. And it's yeah. like, did you mention games? Yeah. <laughs> well, we can hang out and like watch games together. Yeah, like, yeah. Just because we don't want to give you our women folk doesn't mean we can't yeah. enjoy a good time. Yeah. Yeah. We don't hate you. Yeah. We still want to marry you. Yeah. We just look down upon you. Yeah. <laughs> So a whole bunch of people rock up to this. Yes. Um, Amongst whom are the Sabines. Well, the Sabines are probably the least clever of any of the groups because <laughs> they decide that they're going to bring their women and children along as well. Yes. It is indeed a fun time <laughs> had by all. Yeah. Yes. Women and children. Yeah. And yeah. just when they're not thinking anything's going to happen, <laughs> Romulus perhaps has something, like some signal or something set He's up. He's got his mad plan. Yeah. Um, they wait for the... The, for everybody to be like well and truly involved in these games. And in then, other words, a little intoxicated. <laughs> and then <laughs> come the attacks. Exactly. Um, Women's. This seized. is not something I. I know we sound relatively interested and excited about. This, this is in no way an endorsement of any of the things oh, no, that no, are no, taking no, no, place no. in this story. Yes. The byline of this episode is: We do not find rape humorous in any shape, way, or form. Heavy sarcasm at all times. Yeah. Exactly. Um, We're just enjoying the fact that hopefully this isn't what actually happened. <laughs> I like to think I'm reading against a narrative rather than with exactly. the narrative. Hopefully oh. this is just a myth and it didn't really happen. <laughs> yeah. I'm hoping. I'm yeah. hoping. I'm a little bit scared that maybe it's not. Yeah. Um, anyway, in any case. Back to our jolly mood. <laughs> <laughs> well, obviously the women resist. 
Yeah, as you do. That doesn't make things any better. No. Uh, it doesn't go down well for them. <laughs> no, 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 it doesn't go down very well. Um, there are a lot of complaints about what occurs. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Those games. My God. Hoo-ha. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, the Sabines are just really not very happy. No, and um, as you can imagine, they kind of say, you know what, all those women that you see, can we please have them back? now yeah (laughs) and part of the trouble is that we don't have a good reading on this that doesn't come from a male perspective no um because the way that livy constructs his narrative for instance is that the romans the roman men win over the sabine women by basically saying look but we're actually in love with you yeah (laughs) um and that that narrative of romance yeah is what enough is what changes this from being oh my god they've just kidnapped and raped a whole stack of women to being like these women are now on board with the roman men yeah and they're kind of like you know dad brother be at peace with this decision. It's all yeah. good. Yeah. Gonna have a happy life here. Yeah. No, this is going to be good. And do you really want to ruin the potential children that, that are... The... Already in my stomach. Yeah. <laughs> that I may already have within me yeah. from this, this process. Kind of reminds me, actually, of a classic movie about this very topic. Mm. Um, where the women are all quite babelicious playboy types who again yeah seem quite happy with the whole plan (laughs) yeah yeah to me this doesn't seem like an accurate reading of what could have possibly happened um nevertheless this is the type of narrative structure that we get from this sort of mythic period and there's even like these sorts of images that you'll get you know recreating this scene where you know the sabines and the romans are going to go to war over this issue this breach of hospitality in quite a spectacular Mm. way um, but the women are like, you know, madly intervening and saying, peace, stop, yeah, yeah. don't go to war, you know. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, this idea that the women actually become the vehicles for legitimizing this situation and yes. what happens, um, is both tragic and terrible and definitely part of the way the Romans saw their own history. Yeah. So there's no getting away from but the disturbing the day, nature of it. According to the myth, everything calms down. <laughs> Things do calm down yeah. after that, relatively speaking. Yeah. Rome has some women now. Yeah. Um, those women appear to be on side, relatively speaking. And it seems to be this sort of incorporation of the Sabines and the Romans in some versions of this story as well. Like mm. that, um, yeah, through the women, there is some sort of mingling of these two peoples according to you know, like, people like Plutarch and mm. that they're yeah that, that they start to try and live peacefully together in one <laughs> sort of <laughs> yeah yeah so I mean people yeah there seems to be this sense in which there are there are other hostile activities that take place in and around um, this area yeah um, after um, the rape of the Sabine women sure um and that's sort of where Romulus's career sort of goes from there. Yeah. Um, he remains much the warrior king. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, there is some retaliation from the Sabines and and others. Um, they're put down because they're not very well organized, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> and the Romans are kick-ass. Come on. <laughs> yeah. Well, they're mo- their foundation myth, of course. Uh, they're, they're mostly men. And yeah. <laughs> it turns out that they're more well organized. <laughs> yeah. And... Yeah, this idea that eventually the the Sabine women become crucial in sort of uh, simmering down those tensions. Yes, definitely. Is is an important part of this narrative. I have to say, though, I mean, from a female point of view, I I think the kernel of maybe truth lies in the fact that 
if this had happened to you, mm. I mean, with the culture, you know, with the times and the, and the view of women at that time, perhaps you would make the best of a bad situation in that you are kind of damaged goods. You know, it's a horrible way to think of things, but, mm. you know, how could you go back to life and, you know... Well, yeah, and there's no, like, power in this particular story is located, the men. Yeah. Is, is located solely on physical prowess. Yeah. And so the Sabine women are really in very little position yeah, to do to anything about no. it. Yeah. Unless they decide to throw in their support with mm. their families. Yeah. And and this might tell us more about Sabine culture or culture in Italy at the time. Sure. And, and how those women were conceptualized, because it seems on the one hand there is this implied sense that those women are valuable to the Sabine people. That's why they're fighting and retaliating. Absolutely, yeah. They're not but, just giving them up as lost. Yeah, yeah. but the question yeah. about what would happen to those women if they were actually rescued and returned... That's what I mean, yeah. It, what would happen to, to the Sabine? I don't know. I honestly don't know. Yeah. yeah. If it, how, to what extent are those women going to be brought back into the fold? Um, to what extent are those women going to be valued yeah. in, in that society? Um, seems what, like what, what kind of lives could they lead? I don't know. Well, yeah. and it seems like the crucial question because yeah. it seems to me that the Sabine women's reaction to what has happened is in a way a self-preservation I agree. type totally. That's of what I mean. reaction. Yeah. I, it, and suggests to me that maybe there wouldn't be much for them yeah. if they were actually That's rescued exactly and returned think, home. Yeah. Yeah. And that perhaps there's more retribution in the offering um, if they were to be taken back. Yeah. And and certainly in from a Roman perspective, there, do, there does tend to be a lot of blaming the victim yes. around instances of rape. Yeah. So, and that's pretty that's a pretty strong narrative to get away from as well in this particular context. Yeah. Again, it doesn't mean we agree with it. It's just the way things happen to be in this yeah, and Yeah, but what it means is that for the Romans, they've got a foundation story, which on the one hand has this sort of uh, Aeneas wandering the world, yeah. um, which translates into these two quite aggressive twins, yes. uh, who, yeah. who are who are lawbreakers, <laughs> um, founders, um, engage in fratricide, engage in rape, and and a city is is born, born out this, out yeah. of this sort of level yeah. of violence. And I think for some people, particularly people who are, I mean, they're not really outsiders. Because I'm talking about people like Plutarch, who are mm. living in the empire, yeah, um, you know, and who are in a sense, you know part of that mm. but at the same time who are from a sort of Greek cultural mm. perspective um, I feel like in a way this myth is kind of trying to explain the warlike nature of the Romans and the way you know, and how they came to dominate by his time so much of the world you know that maybe there's that sort of connection to that sort of spirit that runs through these these stories you know yeah, I mean, these stories seem to have a very sort of a, a long antiquity about them. Yeah. And and it's certainly not the only type of this story that's around, is it? I mean, you get sort no. of similar stories like with Perseus, hmm. you know, with his mother being thrown into a, <laughs> a cabinet or something, a chest, <laughs> when she was pregnant with him because they were worried about, you know, what her son was going to do when he grew up and so just get rid of them. Yeah, this idea that there's sort of like divine intervention yeah in the sense that um people need to find a way to explain the past through a sort of divine lens and and accrue significance to that past as a result of that yeah definitely and and also i mean the basic um format of the story um 
is not you know you, you can find it in other cultures as well not just in roman ones and not just in greek ones either like mm. even in, in persia and places like that you can find these sorts of stories of of you know of heroes who have you know illegitimate or more or less births you mm. know whose mothers suffer who go through this period of being kind of uh, ruffians i suppose <laughs> you know, roaming around and becoming men and you know yeah. ex- experiencing that sort of part and then eventually sort of being restored to power and putting down their enemies like you can find those sorts of narrative journeys throughout other cultures not to minimize the significance of this one to the romans but no and, and it is interesting because it casts it casts Rome in a sort of in a very violent light, yeah. And and in that sense, it can serve a very distinct purpose in yeah. terms of conceptualization of self, yes. Um, and also open them up to various types of criticism as as ideas change. Um, and even though these are old stories, even the thing is that we have to you know take into consideration is also I mean Livy um, obviously being one of our main sort of sources for this story, but at the same time. The time that Livy was writing, he may have had a motive for presenting the story mm. in the way that he did, because it's certainly not exactly the same as the story we get in, you know, Greek retellings like in Plutarch. Or... No, no, and and there's obviously specific details of the narrative that have been expanded, embellished on, taken from other sources. Yes, and and a lot of our sources prior to Livy are fragmentary on this sort of stuff. But yes. you know, we get aspects of this coming through in Ovid. Yes. Um, Dionysius of Halicarnassus gives yes. us another version of this story as well. Yes, absolutely. I mean, the, the essential elements, you know, remain the same. And, you know, the twins, the founding, la la la. But Livy really, uh, I was reading this really interesting article where he talked. The um, they also talked about the fact that Livy really foregrounds Romulus's actions. You know, mm. he's the one who takes the initiative, um, rather than say in Plutarch, Numitor taking the initiative in a lot of the, you know their connections later on in life, you know, and Numitor and Plutarch sort of, you know, gives them supplies to found a city and sort of provides the initiative, whereas in... That's not very exciting of yeah. a story. Forget <laughs> exactly. that. And the fact that Livy kind of seems to be qualifying Romulus' success by saying, well, even if this whole divine connection to Mars and this whole, or even the connection to Numitor, even if it is invented in light of his actions, we may as well sort of believe it in a sense, uh, and, and maybe that's a maybe that's a slight reference to Augustus because Augustus, of course, you know, Livy lives through um, much of that change that comes about with, when Augustus comes into power, and the idea that Augustus was also sort of overseeing this change, you know, he sort of he's essentially sort of instilling a kingship, you know, what will be a kingship again, Ooh, yeah, dangerous yeah, territory. Yeah, exactly. I'm going there. <laughs> And yeah, and that's the idea that that's what Romulus was essentially mm. doing once he'd established his city, introducing this, you know, this monarchy. Um, and perhaps there were some, you know, little, you know, things there to maybe say, well, maybe we should just go with Augustus's claims that he's descended from Venus and, <laughs> and all that kind of stuff because his actions are impressive enough to back mm. that up. <laughs> yeah, and I, this is something I think that Livy struggles with as yes. much as anybody, is this transition from what is clearly um, a religious and so this divine explanation for events yes. and his idea of rationality as a historian yes. and somebody who has to write. <laughs> yeah, or, or set yeah. himself up to write a, a history of Rome from the founding of the city. Yeah. Um, 
where the stories are coming out of oral culture, they're coming out of piecemeal source material, and they're tied up to ideas about um, conceiving the universe in ways that don't necessarily manifest very well as part of reality. Absolutely, yeah. Um, And it's interesting how in Livy you also get that real sort of dynamic between the country and like rustic living mm. and the city and mm. what, what the city means, you know, uh, in, in later versions, again, it's not so much of an issue because they kind of just roll with whatever, you know, works with the story sort of thing. But in this one, it, it's almost like there is that harking back to the rustic, pure simplicity of the countryside and what that means for people who grow up there, like Romulus and Remus, as opposed to people who continue to live in a city like Romulus. Mm. And it does that have something to do with Augustus's whole moral reforms and that sort of thing? Because it's at that time that we do get that sort of, you know, harking back to simpler time, you know. Yeah, yeah. Of, you know, with the Augustus's sort of very ostentatious display about, you know, my women folk still spin and weave. And, you know. <laughs> all of, yeah, it's all of the traditional behaviours that they engage in. Absolutely. And Even though what they're doing is so unconventional. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and in a way it becomes a really important narrative for Augustus because he doesn't really have that. Like he's not really that healthy an individual. He doesn't, <laughs> doesn't really participate in that sort of country lifestyle. No, I don't think anyone ever said of Augustus, my, what a splendid physical specimen How you are. robust. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> no. Apart from people maybe looking at his statues. I don't think they did. No. Um, I think he's far more impressive in statuary than he is in reality. Um, but he spent a lot of his life ill. Yeah. Uh, Particularly during crucial points. Really crucial moments. Yeah. Like um, Actium, you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The battle yeah. that settled the Civil War. Whatever. I'm just going to be in bed, guys. Yeah. Um, there's this really crucial moment in the 20s as well where he's quite ill and yeah. really would have helped if he wasn't, I think. Yeah. Um, nevertheless... Uh, we get this sense that like Augustus is really interested in positioning tradition, Roman traditions in particular ways. And I I guess the question is how much can Livy be seen as a vehicle for that sort of thing? Because clearly he's, he buys into some of it, but on the other hand, yeah, Yeah, like a foundation story like this really sets the bar low in terms of what, (laughs) what is required from a Roman man. um, And indeed what is, expected of Roman women. And it's, it's an oddly timely narrative. Like, I, I don't think I would have actually thought as deeply about it until I read this article about, you know, Romulus, as you say, sort of gradually packaging together what his position is going to be mm. and what the position of other people in his society yeah, yeah. was it going to be. Augustus really was doing the same thing, even though he might deny it. <laughs> He's doing a bit yeah. of a repackaging process. He is, and he might not have, you know, obviously he would never have called it a monarchy and it's, it's only later, I suppose, that we can really look and say, okay, yeah. That's you know that's really what he's done. Yeah. But he is essentially just packaging stuff together, repositioning people a little mm. bit. You know, <laughs> it's kind of a similar experience. So it is. It's funny how even though it's this mythical tale from hundreds and hundreds of years ago. Oh, actually, I suppose we should mention the date. <laughs> the founding of the city, seven fifty three B.C. Yeah, so hundreds and hundreds of years ago, <laughs> and yet it can still speak to what. Yeah, oh yeah, we, I, I don't think there's any virtue in considering these narratives without thinking about how they're positioning us to think about the time p- which the authors are actually engaging with these stories. Yeah. Um, the Romulus and Remus story is important to the Romans. Um, Livy spends a good deal of time on it. Yeah. Um, 
But it is, it, it's got conflict and it doesn't sit well with the way that Romans want to think about themselves oh, of course. to a certain yeah. extent. Which I think actually um, is probably a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> For when right, we look yes. back and think about the Romans. Yes. We get one of them going, um, woo! Yeah. <laughs> Probably for the best. Yeah, exactly. And on that note... Indeed. Perhaps we should. Perhaps we should, yes. Our dues. Next time, we'll be considering the second King of Rome. Mm. You thought this was about repackaging. Wait for it. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Until then... Farewell. Farewell.